0: Oh,
1: Recorded live. Fragments of silicon. Now in one fewer fragment than last week, which I may have used before, but I don't care. <laughs>
0: Welcome to another episode of Pregnant to Silicon. Um, Joining me, as always, are Gallics. Hello. Teddy fan?
1: You know, it helps if you don't give your sound guy a heart attack in (laughs) pre-show.
0: And Ogre.
1: No, I will do that.
0: Anyway, uh, so our guest uh, is in transit right now, so we have some time to fill. So, let's do some news. (laughs) <laughs> All right, uh, let's start with Gollins.
1: No, no, straight to the phone. Oh, well, on on the way home from the game store tonight, it turned out that it had started snowing kind of while I was there, and it was too warm for it to actually be sticking, but that was not fun to be driving home in. Uh, yeah, don't you just love uh, the spring snow weather? <laughs> yeah, um... I just picked up uh the Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragon DLC, um, partially because I'm hoping to be able to play it to help with the review we're going to do next week and partly out of spite. Um <laughs> I didn't know you liked D and D. Uh never yeah, you before. <laughs>
0: yeah, I I, I...
1: I'm actually not that familiar with Dungeons and Dragons as such, but Pathfinder is closely related. So, yeah. and uh, other than that, I've been playing Hyrule Warriors Legends, which is uh, fun, but uh, there's a ton of stuff to unlock over again because I am amazed at how much more content this 3DS game has than the Wii U version did.
0: <laughs> huh. How much more content?
1: Well, first off, I'm surprised that it has all of the content from the Wii U version except for challenge mode, which I never liked. It all re- It comes with the, like, five, ch- five adventure mode maps mm-hmm. from, the, from, the, from the Wii U version, including all the DLC. And they have rearranged where you get stuff. Like, the first two challenge maps don't have any level three weapons in them because they have the level 1s and most of the level 2s of the uh, weapons for all the characters that did, that you got in DLC on the Wii U version and just got all of them at once. Right. Uh, so stuff is slower to unlock that way. And then there is one new DLC adventure map already, and then there are four more adventure maps coming with DLC. And that's quite a bit, actually. Which will be coming to the Wii U version 2. I th- no, actually, I'm not sure the maps are. I think maybe just the characters are coming to the Wii U, but we'll see about that.
0: I couldn't say offhand. So,
1: yeah, it's got a lot of stuff in it, and it's going to take for freaking... Key- I think, thankfully, the level cap is lower on this, but that also means you do less damage at cap, so who knows? I'm not even all the way through the story mode again, so... Mm. But I do have, uh, like, Link and Spell Kid, and Link unlocked, so... That's nice. Oh. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey. I'm here.
2: Hey. Uh, just, Hello.
0: Yeah, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing very good. Sorry for the delay.
0: Oh, that's fine. That's fine. We were just running through the news. Yeah, so, uh, anyway, if you bear with us. You got what you were saying?
1: Yeah, it's, it just, it has all the, all of the, I, I was expecting them to cut out some of the stuff from the Wii U version DLC but they seem not to have, so, you kind of pay for it in, like, it's not as pretty, and the draw distance isn't as good, and there's noticeable pop-in on the monsters, but, uh, it's it certainly got hours and hours worth of stuff to unlock, so that's being fun.
0: It's the 3DS, I mean,
1: what, yes. what could you expect? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, uh, Other than that, I uh, yeah. haven't had that, in, that event full of a week, so...
0: Well, have you... Next. Have you touched Siege of Sphere yet?
1: I just downloaded that when I got home today.
0: Okay. Uh, all right. More on that later.
1: Uh, hopefully, hopefully I will later, yeah. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Ogre, uh, you're up. Uh, Let's see here. We just finished up Ocarina of Time. Got that completely done with.
0: Yeah.
1: That was pretty much what to be expected, so...
0: Right. Uh, yeah, Naka... I, I actually talked to Naka a bit about it yesterday. He said he, he liked it, but he just prefers the console version because he prefers console.
1: Mm, yeah, the, the transition between portable and console is kind of weird, but...
0: Yeah, especially this one because it doesn't have the uh, enhanced features that Majora's Mask would be
1: Yeah. And, uh, let's see... So, we've got to move on to our next project here soon enough, which should be fun.
0: Yeah, are you doing another, Are you doing a couple of short ones as you usually
1: do? Uh, we'll see. Yeah. may have something in mind. All right. This uh, <laughs> is kind of a lot on our plate all of a sudden. Uh, That's what you do when you got ideas. Well, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I've been playing through Earthbound a lot like, uh, lately, and... I'm starting to see the charm in the whole thing. <laughs>
0: I'm like, I I hope Earthbound is next because it, your your rantings have been amusing. To me. <laughs>
1: like
0: you guys haven't heard them in like uh, our writers room, but uh, yeah,
1: I think I think the Mr. Saturn thing kind of takes me aback a bit. Just in that whole like what the fuck kind of moment. <laughs> uh, like they kid, have like, a very interesting font. Yeah. I don't know, just... Yeah. Well And yeah, then there's just all these weird, lovable lovable pieces with large quotation marks of uh the classical RPG elements that just piss me right
3: off.
1: <laughs> Which I swear to god, if I ever meet E Toy, I'm gonna punch him in the nuts for the mushroom status effect.
0: <laughs> Security
1: I, be damned. I understand
0: this. Well, <laughs>
1: Adam may help you.
0: Yeah. I never like the
1: mushroom vacation uh, because,
0: yeah, I love my controls being screwed around with.
1: Yeah, uh, this, uh, is that, this is the one that this the one if I recall correctly, it's not just like when games where they you're confused and it inverts the controls. It just changes them every few seconds. Yeah, just it randomizes which one is like up is now left and left is now diagonal. Yeah. Wait five more seconds, and now down will be the Z axis or something. You don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. Well, uh, where are you? I time? I could see us doing it at some point.
0: Yeah, I don't
1: see it soon, obviously. Yeah, I don't
0: see you doing it soon. But I'm like, honestly, I I think I have an idea of what you're going to do next. If, yeah,
1: uh, they're... It's mostly because it's kind of... It's one of Naka's favorite games, and I don't want to, like, shit on it too hard. Right. So, with the past week, I'd be happy if I could shit on anything hard enough. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) Constipation kind of sucks and everything. All right. Uh, Let's see. I'm also trying to get into Fire Emblem Fates to do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I did... I'm doing birthrights first through. I'm just gonna do like birthrights con. Do them on normal and then do Revelation first because why not? God help me, I'll never do anything on lunatic because I'm not that fucking crazy,
3: yeah.
1: as it is appropriately named. Right. Mm-hmm. So far, I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Birthrights is definitely gonna be. It's gonna be a vast transition from birthrights to. Conquest, I can tell you that much. Right. Conquest is so I to, ridiculously harder. Yeah. I had to make, like, two separate files because mm. I wanted to do birthrights, and it, it's like, okay, you can do this, but you have to go to the shop to buy it. And I go, like, I got a code for that already. I guess this will take me to the shop. And I was like, nope, that doesn't count. And So I had to do a, a playthrough of that Conquest level, and it's like, oh, uh, yay, this was just intuitive and everything. Hmm. The free well, stuff is the only thing that makes it possible, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Uh, uh, anything what? else going on?
1: I managed. I managed to get through that. And got that all set up. Uh, anything else? Anything else? Yeah. Uh, not much, really. I was able to give blood for the first time in like months, last Saturday. Yeah, give you. blood or play blood? Give blood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he, he's actually talking about donating blood. Not, yeah. not, not, not
1: the FBS series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of those is, like, every time I was, like, either sick or, like, somebody screwed up the scheduling. Last time they got me before I got sick, so mm-hmm. nothing bad happened there. But, yeah. like, it's been almost literal months since I gave, and I was like,
0: I kind of wanted to go through it
1: this time for once. <laughs> mm.
0: uh, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, yeah. In Naka That's, News.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't really know much more about Naka News outside of apparently fishing will never be his greatest sport ever.
0: No, we covered that. All best. So Naka is currently being driven insane again by the Reddy Ribby playthrough. Yeah, it's like, God, he, he was ranting on Twitter today and yesterday about the game again. Yeah, it, it's like th- this game is doing bad things. to
1: I have some sympathy for him in that I agree that the game is kind of two separate games, but it's pretty upfront about that. And
0: yeah, he you know he wanted a straight up Metroidvania, and that that's not what Rabbi Ribby is. And you know he accepts some fault because uh, he went into this completely blind, and he said he's never going to do that again until the time he doesn't have anything in mind and just picks the game off the Steam list.
1: Once again, Shh. I'm playing through Earth that doesn't happen. <laughs> I kind of don't want to be taken a by anything, just going like, oh,
0: seriously? Yeah, I just said, you know, drop the series. It's giving you that much stress. It's like, that's what the less try, try banners for, you
1: know. It, and and if he has problems with the fan service elements of the game, well, I'm not going to defend those. But yeah, I think the game is good enough with even including them. So
0: we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's like, you know, he he's, uh, like, and apparently he's losing sleep over the game. Like, it, it gets him too hyper in the evenings. They can't sleep. Right, so, I don't know if he's going to end it or if he's going to persist or whatever, but I'm like, if he switches to, I don't know, say Kirby Triple Deluxe or whatever... Whatever else would suffice, I wouldn't be surprised. And you know, honestly, I think it'd be better for him. Yeah. Also, Undertale is doing fine. You know, uh, he said that there are, uh, a couple people complained, but they quickly stopped. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, Teddy fan, you're up.
1: Oh, <clears throat> not really. A whole lot of stuff is happening right now. But apparently my mom's friend who used to live with us mm-hmm. is going to be getting some big settlement from the botched heart surgery she had. Mm-hmm. And apparently she's going to send some money to my sister and I, as well as my parents. So that's going to be a thing, hopefully, possibly. Yeah, knock
0: on wood and all that. Yeah. Hey, it's like it's that the universe smiles upon you, apparently.
1: Yes. Yeah, so... Anyway. Well, I don't know if I'd call because of a botched heart surgery smiling, but I guess it's better than.
0: It's better than nothing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it smiles them in a very petty fan way, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, anything else of note?
1: Um, not really. Just been playing Final Fantasy XIV. Still trying to get through Sephiroth Extreme. God, that thing is a bitch.
0: Take your word for it. Uh, all right, my turn. All right. Yep. All right. Um, not a whole lot news to report. Uh, still planning on taking my mom to, to, uh, to the uh, local Indian restaurant on Sunday. Not her actual birthday, but she's got a lot of. i put it in. It's her 65th, so she's going to be kind of busy. I'm hoping my older brother has uh, put in the order uh, for the flowers. I don't know. He said he'd take care of it, so don't come through. Yeah. Mm, it's up to him. Uh, let's see. Uh, personally, I have been really busy with uh, Baldur's Gate, Siege of Dragonsphere, uh, on multiple fronts because, well, we've got to discuss the whole controversy thing now. You know, it's like, yeah, a lovely uh, thing for Bioshock planned this week, but no, the, the Internet decided to get stupid again.
1: Yep. Yeah. Come on, Adam. The internet is always stupid. It just got be, It just decided to be stupid about something we care about. Yeah. Whatever. You know. Trent
2: Oster uh, made an official...
1: Yes, I saw that.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and <clears throat> I've been kind of concerned because I know the writer, you know, the the, the person who's going to cross crosshair. so, you know, you know it, it's good that they're standing by her. You know. But, yeah... And, and, you know, we've all, I've also been playing the game a lot because it's a huge-ass CRPG expansion, we're reviewing the game on Sunday. So, you know. Uh, you know and then next week, we've got uh, Dragon Drag- uh, Ron Pod 2, which is probably going to be another, jeez, 50 hours? Like, I don't know. It's like the first game was mega long. I'm expecting the second game to be mega long. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, as far as uh, MSP, I have no clue. Uh, we might be doing it, we might not. I'm, I'm currently waiting for, that, uh, for that. uh More on that later. So, let's just get to the interview portion. Uh, uh, once again, we welcome uh, Stephen Kick of Night Dive Studios. I'm sure our audience is very familiar with you at this point. How could they not be? Uh, <laughs> new listeners, you know, and all that. But... Uh, right. Geez, there's a lot of stuff to cover. Like, you've been busy in the last four or six months.
2: It's been very busy. Um, it just seems like every, you know, every couple of months, um, things start to pick up for us. Nice. And our, you know, the things that are currently on our plate, it just they just keep expanding. Um, yeah. You know, initially we were just re-releasing classic games. Uh, applying emulators, but now you know we've really branched into territory of mastering games, going in with source code, porting to all new engines, creating new experiences. And now, uh, what's really exciting is you know with System Shock remastered, we're we're developing uh, what could be considered an original game from the ground up. So yeah, things are getting things are getting busy, and uh, yeah, just going with the flow.
0: Understandable, I mean. I guess uh, System Shock Remastered is as good an entry point as any. I mean, okay, so you put out System Shock Enhanced Edition, like, uh, last fall. Uh, So what what made you want to do a full-bore remake? Um,
2: It it all kind of started when we started talking with um, Paul Nerath of Other Side Entertainment. And um, Paul Nerath was the original founder Hmm. of Looking Glass and you know, one of the the prime creators of the System Shock franchise. Oh, yeah. And
0: We've actually had him on the show.
2: Yeah. Um, they're currently working on um, Underworld Ascendant, which was successfully funded on Kickstarter a little while ago. Right. And since then, you know, since the acquisition that we made of the System Shock franchise, they've announced that they're going to be the ones developing System Shock 3. And what that kind of left us with was, hey, you know, there are these other games in the franchise that people know about, um, System Shock and System Shock 2. Uh, Which one of these two would make an appropriate vessel for, you know, a complete remake? And we really started looking at System Shock 1. Um, We worked with uh, one of our contractors and prolific modders in the scene, this guy named um, Alex Junalima, who's from Brazil. And he managed to take the original System Shock game and kind of poured it into his own um, Windows build that allowed us to add things like mouse look, higher resolutions, widescreen support, this kind of thing. And while that had a really great reception, we still felt like, you know, System Shock is one of the greatest games of all time. And it really deserves, you know, the, the kind of full modern treatment that a lot of games get these days. And so I I assembled a team of um, industry veterans. Um, We have been working very, very hard over the last couple of months. And uh, the Monday that GDC began, we released our pre-alpha video demo on YouTube. And in a matter of days, we had like 500,000 views. And um, it's steadily growing, but the reception that we received was was just amazing. And so that's kind of led us onto our next kind of path, which is you know, we're going to develop this thing um, all the way. We're going to completely remake it, all new assets. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very exciting.
0: No doubt, no doubt. I mean, I saw the reaction to the, the video, and, like, uh, people are, are still kind of blown away that this is a thing that's happening, considering, you know, where System Shock was before you got your hands on it.
2: Yeah, it's... I mean, I think that anybody who's a System Shock fan or even a Bioshock fan as a, you know, from a proxy, they're just, they're in this situation where they're like, wow, we never would have imagined that this would have happened, let alone, you know, the original creators would be creating the sequel that we've all kind of secretly wanted all these years. And, um, so they're like, everybody's going to get their dose of, of shock pretty soon. Um, Okay. The, the, the progress on the demo is just going exceedingly well. Um, we're going to be premiering um, a Kickstarter campaign in the near future with some stuff that is really going to appeal to um, just the fans and the, the people that love this stuff. So,
0: mm. Yes, uh, and people have actually been impressed with how good the pre-alpha um, uh, looks. Uh, can you go into details of the tech behind this?
2: Yeah, so um, I I owe pretty much all of it to the personnel that's on board. Um, we've got an insanely talented team. Um, basically, our team consists of, of people that have worked on things like um, Sony Online Entertainment's Planetside 2, mm-hmm. uh, Bethesda's Skyrim, Fallout 3, Fallout 4, Star Trek Online, um, some of the latest and greatest stuff from the Tomb Raider franchise. Um, we've got Rob Waters, who was the original concept artist for the original System Shock, who did the work on, you know, the Freedom Force games, um, Bioshock, Bioshock 2, Bioshock Infinite, uh, and he's been able to really kind of create, um, you know, this artistic style that we've been able to gravitate towards and really been able to um, create with the tools that we have. And I, you know, I honestly think that's a major part of it. Is that, you know, it's all brand new, but it just, it just screams shock. It's got the, the it's got the pedigree. Yeah. It's got the original vision behind it. Yeah. And um, what we were able to do with the Unity en- engine is is definitely very impressive. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I, I've heard people uh, explain shock, if you will, over this being a Unity game.
2: There's definitely been, um, like, for instance, when we were at GDC and we were showing our demo around, um, you know, I, I didn't preface it with anything. I would approach, you know, whoever I was talking to and be like, hey, you should check this out. And they'd watch it and they'd go, wow, what engine are you using? Are you using Unreal Engine or are you using Crytek? <laughs> and I'd be like, no, 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 we're, we're actually using Unity. And, you know, their jaw would, you know, kind of hit the floor and be like, how did you made, you know, how did you manage this? from this engine and to be honest I don't think that Unity gets the fair treatment it deserves it's a very robust engine there's a lot of features in it that are um, just as powerful if not more so than Unreal or Crytek it just requires a little more expertise to get that result out of it Mm -hmm. and because of the team that we've assembled we've been able to really kind of push the limits of what the engine can do and um, I gotta say like the pre-alpha demo, I'd say two or three days after that, you know, our lock-in for that content, we had something that was easily ten times better than that to show, which we, you know, have kept behind closed doors at the moment. But I think everybody that sees it is going to be even more impressed when uh, when we decide to reveal that content.
0: Oh, uh, indeed! Like we actually know. Uh... A good deal about Unity because, well, we have a lot of developers who work with Unity. Hell, just yesterday, we were talking to a dev who was doing a really big project in Unity. You know, and, and Unity does get a bad rap, but that, that's mainly because, you know, it's very easy to use and it's got pre-formed assets. And you know, we've we've talked about asset clippers and the like on the show before. And it's just, you know, people blame the tools
2: instead of the tool makers.
1: Yeah, but that yeah. doesn't mean it. That doesn't mean it's not a very versatile system. So
2: true but you know i mean if even if you look at our comments on our youtube page or um you know for that particular video people are going why are you using unity and it's like well look at it is this not the quality level that you know that that is you know you're not going to be satisfied with this like i don't understand what more we could do with any other engine that uh you know, would would appease these people, but I think it, it really boils down to, you know, it is, it's freely available to everybody. It's free to use. Anybody can develop stuff on this. And just the vast majority of things that have been, are, you know, they're indie. They they, they don't have that, um, you know, they don't have that standard to, to live up to. And um, hopefully what we're doing is going to bring this, you know, this whole thing to light. Like, you know, Unity isn't so bad. Um, you put some professionals and some industry veterans behind it and you're going to get, you know, the AAA kind of uh, look that, that's, you
1: know, it's going to be required, so.
0: Yeah, believe me, I can name a number of games that made name Unity, both <coughs> 2D and 3D, that are pretty amazing, from Grown Home to Tesla Grad and so on and so forth. Uh, it's like people who bash Unity just aren't seeing the, the games that are really pushing the game... The engine to its limits. But uh, so, uh, let's talk a bit more about the team. How many people are working on the remastered uh, system chart here?
2: We have a really small team. Um, it fluctuates between, I'd say, anywhere between six and ten people. Um, but what's really great about it is that um, everybody that's involved is extremely talented, highly agile. Um, incredibly motivated, and not only that, but they're a fan of the the series and a fan of the franchise. And so uh, we've been able to accomplish an incredible amount um, with a very small team in just a short amount of time. And um, one of the reasons that we've been able to do that is because uh, we use this tool to extract some of the original level geometry and all the sprites and assets from System Shock 1. Right. directly into Unity. So we've got the entire blueprint of the game already in the engine,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: all we have to do is, is rebuild it as we see fit. And um, it's saved us a lot of time and a lot of energy and um, a lot of money. And so we're able to have a very small team and, and and tackle a project of this scale. Right.
0: And it sounds like you're going to be going for a one-to-one remake. Here. Is that the case, or are you going to be, like, changing or adding stuff?
2: We want to make sure that the original Shock experience is as authentic as possible. And one of the biggest things that we've done, of course, is bring on Rob Waters, who, like I said before, is the original concept artist, one of the, you know, original kind of artistic directions as far as this whole franchise is concerned. And um, what he's been able to do... Um, aside from kind of giving us a, a fresh look at this, is take some of, some of these areas that in the, the original game were just things that you would just kind of roughly pass through. They'd be inconsequential little areas that you would, you would just kind of walk through, you'd not pay attention to them, and bring new kind of light as to what their actual function would be on Citadel Station. So, for instance, one of the areas that we're really focusing on is what we have dubbed the Arboretum. So very early on, you kind of, you know, you cross from one room to the other, and in this one particular section, there's some overgrown trees. And I think there's a cyborg drone in there that shoots at you, and there's like, maybe like a med patch that you can pick up. Mm -hmm. And we were really fascinated by this area and thinking critically about, you know, what would this really look like if it was on a space station and it was left unattended for six months. And so what Rob did is he basically designed this huge area that was um, more or less a biodome where, um, you know, plants and vegetables and all kinds of, you know, necessary things for life, oxygen, you know, this kind of thing would be growing. And it really opened up that area to where we were thinking, okay, well we could throw a couple more corpses in there and some more data logs and we can kind of expand upon the story and the narrative of the original game to kind of flesh it out, give it more life, and, and really give the, the, you know, the tragic um, occupants of the Citadel Station a more prevalent voice in, in what happened. And we really think that it's not only going to give um, a better experience to the original fans, but for people who have never played it before, it's going to be um, a lot more engaging, more interesting, and they're going to be more invested in the story. And this is just a tiny little thing out of the entire scope of the game that we've kind of uncovered. So as we go along, we keep finding more instances where we can really expand but still remain true to the story and to the overall atmosphere of the game.
0: That sounds interesting. Speaking of uh, modernization, uh, the controls. uh, System Shock very famously had very kludgy controls that... Were of a very specific time, And I'm wondering, how are you going to bring them up to
2: date? So that's the very first thing that we tackled because we all knew that that was going to be the biggest issue to overcome. And um, right now we've got kind of like a hybrid system. It's a little bit mixed between, like, let's say something like um, Bioshock, where it's traditional first-person controls.
3: Right.
2: Um... There's nothing that's gonna get in the way of you just experiencing the world where uh, it's been, you know, accessible in any other type of game like this. But it's got um, a pretty robust inventory system, similar to System Shock 2, but without, like, the inventory Tetris. So you're, you don't have to kind of manage where things are gonna go in your inventory, like um, another example would be Resident Evil right? Where you've got like 16 squares, Uh, your gun is going to take up four, your herbs are going to take up one each, that kind of thing, and you have to kind of organize them. It's all going to be text-based, similar to System Shock 1, Mm. but you're not going to be completely crippled by, you know, no mouse look, for instance. It's going to play just like a a first-person shooter that you'd pick up today.
0: Mm. Yeah, that is one of the things I always liked about the Bioshock series, the streamlining. I know there were some people who weren't happy about that, but I got tired of the inventory management and System Shock and System Shock 2. I'm not afraid to say that. But, uh, right, so uh, what's the feedback been like from uh, the audience? Have they been, you know, I know they've been generally positive, but has there been any, like, Concerns over you know, ch- you're changing it, and therefore the game's ruined, and all that stuff.
2: Um, actually, it was it was one of the most uh, interesting things that I've encountered so far in the in all the years that we've done. You know, we've re-released games through Night Dive. Um, we re-released the trailer, or I'm sorry, we just released the trailer, and the overall reaction has just been kind of unanimously positive, which is very strange for anything that's revealed on the Internet. Um, There have been very, very, very few um, negative kind of responses, um, and those that we have received have been a result of people being, once again, kind of uh, unpleased or displeased that we're using unity which is, you know, unfounded as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And then the other major complaint has been the absence of the original System Shock music, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but it's very high-energy, high-tempo, yeah. kind of electronic um, music that, you know, we, we didn't make the change lightly, but we just didn't feel like it represented the tone of the game. Accurately, you yeah. know, we wanted to make a horror, sci-fi, cyberpunk experience, and we just didn't feel like that. The original music really captured that. You know, um, that's been our major. That's been our major uh, feedback that we've gotten. There have been a lot of people going, "Where's the awesome trippy music that I like to dance to?" You know, or that I like to listen to while I'm, you know, hacking or destroying mutants or whatever. And we're like, well, you know, we didn't really uh, think it kind of fit in. So that's it's been a it's been a big thing of contention.
0: No doubt, but I, I'm, honestly, I'm on your side. I always thought like, um, you know, System Shock and System Shock Two had some, you know, very ill-fitting tracks. Like the one that really sticks out is Med One from System Shock Two. <laughs> It's very adrenaline pumping, but I'm like, that's not really what System Shock is supposed to be going for. So, I guess, well, if it makes them feel any better, you know, the original games are out there with the original music, so that's not being taken away.
2: Yeah, and, and we have, like, I mean, again, like, we haven't made any of these changes lightly. We're very well aware of everybody's experience with these games, and what they mean to them, and and nothing that we do is is done lightly. Right. Um, so we've, you know, based on the feedback that we've received, I mean, there's, there's talks internally about, you know, maybe, you know, when we do this Kickstarter project or we launch this campaign, maybe we should do a stretch goal, you know, where if we meet it, you'll be able to literally switch out the soundtrack that we originally designed for like a remastered, reimagined version of the original, where you've got those, you know, high beat per minute kind of, <laughs> you know, electronic cyberpunky kind of music, and um, that way we'd be able to satisfy both crowds. And not only that, but if you decide to play through one way with how we intend it, and then with the original, I mean, essentially you'd be getting it as entirely different experience with the game um, because that's that's kind of how it is. Like, you have a highly atmospheric kind of dark horror tone, something like Dead Space, and then you've got something like System Shock, and you've almost got two completely different games.
0: Indeed. I'm like, that, that's actually... I, I've seen that idea done before, although maybe not in the first-person shooter. But, yeah, the idea of having multiple uh, soundtracks there is intriguing. Uh, Now, are you aiming this thing at uh, at just the PC, or are you looking at consoles as well?
2: We are looking at it um, from, like, a multi-platform perspective. Obviously, our first love and our first priority is to make, um, like, a perfect PC version. Um, It deserves it, and we feel like we'd be honoring it by delivering, you know, the penultimate version on that platform. But um, we are also planning to release a version for Xbox One. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, we've already kind of put ourselves in the position to make sure that, you know, the PC version is not dumbed down. It's not, excuse me, it's not like we're developing it for Xbox One and then porting the PC. We're doing the PC version and we're creating... um, an accessible version for people that are going to be using a controller. And our goal is that the transition from one to the other, depending on your preference, isn't going to make a big difference. So like, even if you wanted to play the game on your PC using uh Xbox controller, it's going to be the same experience.
0: That's, very interesting and I'm, that might be a very scary experience for you know PC people because I know how they feel about playing fps just with analog uh, controllers. Um,
2: but uh, I'm personally not a fan. Um, but they shouldn't be worried because um, you'll be able to just use your mouse and keyboard natively and it's going to be, you know,
0: right.
2: it's going to be exactly what you expect from a from a PC centric uh, video game.
0: That's good. That's good to hear. Now, a friend of mine was asking about the release date of the rematch, uh, the remake, and I told him, like, you hadn't announced it And I imagine that's uh, quite a while away. But, I mean, I suppose <clears> here <throat> is, you know, wh- when does the Kickstarter happen? Is it, uh, like, next month or...?
2: Um, I'm not going to be very specific about that. Um, it is going to be happening this year, the Kickstarter, um, but we still got a bunch of things that we kind of need to nail down um, to make sure that you know we deliver um, a campaign that is really going to uh, mobilize the community into backing us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a very interesting kind of journey over the last, you know, I'd say year since we've actually been kind of looking into this whole thing. And we've been spending a lot of time looking at other campaigns. We've been watching and following the news with um, campaigns that have failed, uh, campaigns that have been successful, but then, you know, six months to a year later have just kind of fallen out and just failed anyways.
3: Right.
2: And um, we're, we're just trying to reach the Kickstarter community in a way that says, you know, we're professionals. We've have you know we've have an established studio for um, four years now.
3: Mm.
2: We know what we're doing. We've got one of the greatest, most recognized IPs in our hand, and we fully intend to see this thing through. Um, you know, no matter what. Right. And um, because of all the you know the the other Kickstarter campaigns that have been uh, successful, but then have have failed midway through, we know that they're of consumer doubt in just crowdfunding in general. And um, so we're, we're really spending the extra time necessary to kind of quell those fears, um, answer the questions, and be very um, thorough in our approach to all this because, you know, if we're going to do this, we need, their, we need everybody's help. We need as much help as we can get to do it financially. Um, but we just got to make sure that, you know, when somebody puts their money down, they feel, um, you know, they feel they feel good about their decision. They are they, they, gonna have trust in us, and um, we're we're gonna honor that trust. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're taking it so seriously.
0: Yeah. It's like there are Kickstarter's out there looking at you, mighty number no. nine, that have just burned through all the goodwill and then some.
1: I'm still kind of pissed.
0: Yeah. Once again, looking at you, mighty number no. nine.
1: I still personally have hopes for Finding Number Nine as a game, but yeah. not really as a franchise. Yeah, you, you can't tell me that they've handled that. No, it's,
2: it's it's been very disappointing for us, honestly, because you know when we started considering this stuff, um, you know I don't I don't think that the reputation of Kickstarter as a platform for developing games like this had been quite tarnished as bad as it has been recently. And, um, you know, I've backed a lot of games. Um, I've been very, very fortunate to see all the games that I've backed come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that it's not the case for, you know, millions of other people. Right. And, um, all, you know, all I can say is that I've got a deep-rooted love for the franchise, um, for video games in general. I mean, this is my life. Right. Um, I love the idea of crowdfunding and this being our first campaign, we want to make sure that we do it right and that we don't leave any kind of doubt um, from anyone who visits the page. We want everybody that sees it to go, holy shit, this is the greatest thing ever. There's no way that I can let any of the, you know, the past bullshit that's occurred to, to, you know, hamper my decision. Um, Oh my God, these awards, they really thought these things through They've got them, you know, all the logistics figured out. There's no way that this could possibly fail. Uh, We want to have that uh, solidity in our campaign, you know, through our presentation and through the the diligence and the research and the development that we've gone through for every step of the way. And, uh, again, I wish I could be more specific about what we've got planned, but I know that you guys specifically are going to be just blown away by by what we've got uh, coming up.
0: I'm rather interested in seeing that. And we'll probably have you on the show around the time of the Kickstarter or anything.
2: Anyway. So yeah, just invite me now I say yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, we can make that happen. Anyway, moving along here, um,
0: I'm not sure how much you can talk about System Shop 3 like, or uh, at this point, but... I, uh, I am interested how the dynamic is working. Um, is oversight doing everything, or are you working in conjunction with them?
2: Um, pretty much the way that we've established, um, you know, System Shock Three is that it's, it's this is Other Side's baby. Um, it's a lot of the original team. Um, this is something that we felt really good about. Um, Kind of giving to them and giving back in a way, and uh, they're they're going through all the right steps so far from what we can see. They've brought in all the right personnel. They've got um, all the right talent to deliver what I think we're all going to um, you know expect and and receive eventually. Um, we had a really great opportunity at GDC this year where we met with um, we met with Paul Neurath. Uh, we met with Warren Spector. We met with Austin Grossman, who was one of the original designers, and um, man, it's, just, it's so exciting to see all those guys back together. You, you can just tell, like, when they're in the same room, you know, behind the scenes, behind their their eyes, uh, their the gears are turning, and they're already, you know, amping up and they're and they're getting ready to unleash something great on uh, on us um, in terms of you know System Shock Three and um, all I can say is I'm I'm just as excited as everybody else, and uh, we're going to let them do what they do best.
0: That sounds good. I mean, I've been excited for the project ever since I saw Warren Spector announcing that he was going to be a part of this project. I, you know, it, it has to be, there has to be something there because Warren Spector was actually retired uh, and was doing academic work until the, the announcement.
2: Yeah, and you know it, you know, <laughs> what the guys told him on the other side had to have been good to, to pull him out of that spot. So, <laughs> Like I said, I, I'm cautiously optimistic
0: at uh, this point. Right, but yeah, System Shock's not the only thing you've got going on. Uh, so, uh, Turok. Uh, has the uh, remaster of the first shark arc- game been doing well?
2: It has. It's been doing incredibly well. And um, honestly, the, the response has been, again, it's been overwhelmingly good. Um, we have a very passionate fan base of, of people who played the game on N64 when it came out, and uh, even more who have played the game on PC, uh, you know, at the same time. And uh, they're just thrilled to see Turok back um, on Steam, and, um, you know, eventually it'll, it'll appear elsewhere uh, but currently, we're we're working very very hard on on Turok 2. Right.
3: Um,
2: and uh, with Turok 2 comes a, a new host of challenges like uh, multiplayer, and uh, that's where we feel like, um, you know, the vast majority of of the fans are really going to come out and really going um, to appreciation for what we've done. But because of the 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 um, uh, the outcome that we got from releasing the first game, it's enabling us to do the second game as well. Right. And, you
0: know, you're doing a, a big overall of uh, Tarot 2, correct?
2: Yeah, it'll be on par with what we've done with um, with the first game. Mm-hmm. But I know that, you know, speaking with our devs and, and going through the process with them, I know that there's, and it was just like the first game, there's other things that they have on their wish list that we weren't able to do with the first game, that we might be able to do with the second, and that includes things like updating the 3D models, um, providing new content, uh, maybe even creating um, new expansions uh, for the previous games, new con- you know, that type of new content. Um, it's all kind of it's up in the air right now, but it's things that we're that we're discussing internally. Mm-hmm. But um, either way, I mean, just the idea that Turok is coming back like this is just is very exciting for us, and we're very happy to to have the opportunity to do it.
0: Yeah, like I've heard some like possible things being done with Turok too, like maybe the weapon set from Turok uh, one being added, and so on and so forth. I don't know if these are hopes and wishes or if there's any curiosity to them. But, you know, it's certainly... Like, adding new content to old games seems to be a thing now.
2: It is, and it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier with uh, Bean Dog and Trent Oster um, doing the the new expansion for yeah. uh, Baldur's Gate. Um, that's really exciting, um, despite all the, you know, the negative
1: stuff that's been going on with that I won't you know I'm not going to get into it but yeah um if you want to hang around for the second half of the show uh, we can go into the negative part of that (laughs) Yeah. yeah I'm not I'm not ready to weigh in
2: on that just yet um but um I will say that you know the new content for old games is something that um is really cool because you know we spent all this time and all this effort creating you know just for instance um Turok in a brand new um, proprietary engine and we've got a level editor that we built and we have all these tools Mm -hmm. and it's like you know we're in this position where we could create you know brand new like essentially a brand new expansion pack for the game Um, and it would be really fun for everybody involved and I'm sure that everybody would love to, to, to experience new Turok missions um, so that's that's potentially something that we could do. Another thing that that is totally possible as well is you know going back to the System Shock remaster, we're rebuilding the entire game from scratch. So what's to stop us, for instance, for adding in you know maybe a new level to Citadel Station and um, including you know the dialogue uh, options and and things from uh, maybe not dialogue options but maybe like the logs and things from System Shock 2 that'll kind of bridge the two stories together, you know, that type of thing um, the way that I equated is, is what Half-Life did with Blue Shift and Opposing Force you know, what if after we did System Shock Remastered we came up with a brand new expansion that you played the, the role of a Citadel um, employee and you got to see what happened from their eyes, that type of thing
0: Right, and I, I suppose you could do a crossover
2: <laughs> maybe you know I've had a lot of people message me on Twitter and, um, and uh, Facebook and even send me personal emails saying hey you know you should do this thing where in System Shock you allude to Rapture or Elizabeth from Bioshock Infinite or you should try to like make these connections between the franchises you know and <laughs> you know, I find all that really interesting. I just, you know, I don't know how possible that would be, but I, I love the idea. Mm-hmm.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Well, that was kind of one of the conceits of Bioshock Infinite, if I remember.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: The, the whole multi-dimensional whatever they were going for there.
2: Yeah, and and coincidentally, um, one of our guys was going through the code of or I forget how this happened. Uh, Don't quote me on this. One of our guys went through Bioshock Infinite and they found in some unused files um, what appeared to be a 3D model of a space station that looked very, very familiar to uh, the Citadel space station in System Shock. So (laughs) it's just one of those odd little coincidences that we, you know, that happen. Indeed.
0: Uh, and you, getting back to Turok uh, 2, uh, well, the first one, that is coming to the Xbox One. I think that got
2: announced recently. Um, I'm not going to say anything more about that right now, uh, uh, besides what you know was posted on Twitter. But uh, yeah, that's, that's about as much as I can say.
0: <laughs> OK, uh, duly noted. Uh, and getting back to Turok 2, uh, uh, has the multiplayer proven to be a challenge in getting uh, up to
2: snuff in the modern age? Uh, well, we've brought on some very specific personnel to help us with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if I would call it a challenge, uh, but you know, this day and age, there have been not as many uh, multiplayer experiences focused on just you know, pure deathmatch. You know, when I was growing up, it was like Doom deathmatch, Duke deathmatch, Quake deathmatch, uh, Unreal Tournament deathmatch, but now it's, you know, the game types are so varied and are so different that um, it'll be interesting to see if that type of thing resonates with fans um, outside of the Turok scope. Mm -hmm. So, you know, of course we're going to have the original modes from the second game. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, maybe we'll add something new um, that, you know, wasn't originally there. Maybe it'll be like a Capture the Flag or... Mm
3: -hmm.
2: You know, we'll expand to some degree. Like, I mean, even uh, the new iteration of Doom that's coming out has a really cool um, way to just mix things up, and that's by um, the the Demon Tokens, where, you know, you instead of, like, double damage or quad damage or invincibility, you get to turn into a demon uh, for a temporary amount of time, you know, that kind of thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, as far as, like, your what you, what you asked, I don't think that there's any issues currently involved. It's just a matter of getting everything to work um, cooperatively with uh, modern network code.
0: Right. And I don't know if you can put a, like, a release date or a price on the game yet, but would <clears throat> that be close or far away?
2: Um, yeah, I can't like announce any dates or anything like that. Um, Turok 2 is a lot bigger than Turok 1. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to a lot more work on our end, and then you know, the whole multiplayer aspect of it is going to you know, add on a considerable amount of time. All I can say is, don't expect anything in the very new, very near future. But we are working on it. It will come out uh, when it's ready. Kind of figure.
0: <laughs> I remember you uh, like uh, last time, or maybe the time before, mentioning that the game was a lot bigger in scope. It was a lot more sophisticated engine and all that stuff. I remember that. I remember Turok Two being a pretty big leap forward from Turok One. Uh,
2: Back in the day, yeah, we're we're realizing that too. We knew it, but um, Mm -hmm. you know, we had the extreme fortune of getting access to the source code for both games. Right, and um, you know, the difference between one and two is is pretty big.
0: (laughs) And let's see, if Torr 2 does well, do you still envision yourself like? maybe bringing over Rage Wars and Turok 3 and maybe even Turok 2008 to, to the modern age
2: um, we've had discussions about it um, currently we're not um, we're not scheduled to develop anything beyond Turok 2 mm-hmm. um, but again you know the, the reaction and, the, and just the feedback that we've gotten from all the fans suggests that it would probably be in our best interest to do so uh, to, to do a remaster of uh, Turok 3 and Turok Rage Wars and then um, as far as Turok 2008 we have been approached with I guess an opportunity that would suggest doing that for that particular game but um, I can't really get into that much more than, than, uh, than that but it's it's possible. Let me put it that way.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Like, you know, always difficult to talk about stuff that you can't talk about. All uh, right, so moving along here. Is speaking, uh, Power Slate, any new news out of uh, that project?
2: There is no new news.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see, uh, Titan uh, that Titanic Adventure Out of Time game, are you still, uh, working on that,
1: or?
2: Uh, yes, it, I mean, it's, again, I think the last time we spoke, I said, you know, it's proving to be very difficult, and there's some issues with it that, uh, have made it not ready for, you know, why, um, uh, but it is still being kind of tinkered with, um, it's just uh, it's it's one of those things that because of everything else that's going on it's just kind of um, on the back burners right but it is still something that collectively we're aware of and that we that we want to release eventually
0: makes sense makes sense I, I remember <clears throat> you talking you know talking a lot about it last time and uh, uh, let's see other projects um, I, I recall you mentioning uh, you were pursuing three more acclaimed games, forsaken, D and Machines Wired for War. Uh, any updates in that field?
2: Um, there aren't any updates that I can mention, but um, I can say that it's still those three titles are in our wheelhouse. Mm. Um, I know that's not very descriptive, but um, yeah, we're still we're still planning on doing something with them at some point. <laughs> Just trying to be as vague as possible. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm like, yeah. well, it, it, it's like we don't ask. We, we get uh, comments, you know, you know, why didn't we ask about this and all that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, have you been trying to pursue any more acclaimed games outside of those?
2: Um. I mean. Could you recommend any? Are there any that you would like to see?
0: Well, there are some I would like to see. Well, I know people who have them, so to speak, and I don't know if they're working on them, but you uh, know, hopefully, I hope to see the return of Extreme G at some point.
1: Extreme G?
0: Yeah, uh, it was a futuristic racing series uh, back on the N64 and. Um, Game GameCube and all that stuff. I rather liked it. I believe that's in the hands of throwback. A lot of the claim stuffs in the hands of throwback.
2: Yes, um, we've we've talked in the throwback before, and yeah, I want to say that they ended up. Yeah, they ended up with quite a bit of stuff, and they ended up. I want to say they they sold, or they maybe it was Vex. Maybe it was Extreme G. I'm not sure, but I know that they sold one of their properties, which were one of the... Oh, no, it was Revolt.
0: Yeah, it was Revolt. That
2: they, yeah, that they sold to a uh, so, Korean company, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
0: We actually talked to Throwback a few months ago. Uh, well,
2: what did they, what did they say? <laughs>
0: yeah, they, they've got a lot of properties. You know, they actually mentioned the, some of the properties they didn't mention that you guys got. You know, it was interesting. You know, like they're, they're working on uh, remade, uh, reworking Gladiator for Microsoft systems. Oh. Uh,
2: Gladiator, uh, I remember that.
0: Yeah, they're they're using Microsoft's cloud uh, technology, and I think they're in with the UEP system, or UWP system, Universal Ah, uh, okay. Platform, yeah and they chose Gladiator because apparently it'll work good on the touchscreen. They're actually planning on releasing it for mobile phones as well as uh, tablets and PCs and Xbox One. Oh,
2: interesting. Interesting. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, uh, yeah, and, uh, let's see. Uh, are you doing, it, still doing anything with, uh, retroism?
2: Um, currently we're not. We're, uh, we've Pretty much, um, mm-hmm. you know, reached the. I guess I wouldn't say the end, but we we uh, we've kind of exhausted all of our um, opportunities with them at the moment. But I'm sure that there'll be something in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but yeah, we just we haven't done anything recently with them. Okay.
0: <clears throat> Fair enough. I trying to recall that you mentioned that you got the capstone FPSs uh, last time.
2: So that's interesting. Um, basically, we tracked down the rights holders um, and we began a conversation with them. Uh, but basically, it turned out that um, they weren't ready to rep and warrant that their ownership was absolute.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so that kind of put us in an interesting situation where basically what we would have to do is up, you know, put forth. Um, kind of a considerable amount of money uh, for, like, lawyer fees to verify, um, you know, IP ownership, that kind of thing. And unfortunately, I mean, as much as I love those games and as much as I would love to see them back, the, um, the cost that would be involved in doing so kind of outweighed the validity, I guess, of of pursuing those titles um, any further. Um, So, I mean, basically what's going to end up happening is, you know, if in the future we've got some money to burn um, for the sake of just bringing those games back and nothing more, Mm -hmm. um, we'll be able to do so. Um, But until then, we can't really justify the costs involved in, in uh, bringing those back. And uh, it's, it's, it's probably the most unfortunate part about this business because, um, you know, as just a lover of the medium and um, somebody who continually wants to, you know, see it progress further and further, um, I would love to spend the money to do it, but as a business decision, it's just not, it's just not um, something that we can do right now um it's unfortunate but it's you know it's just a, a state of uh, where we're at right now
0: yeah that is unfortunate, and certainly not the first time we've heard about uh, you know, such things from your camp or other camps uh, you know uh, and it's always unfortunate to hear about that you know maybe one day we'll we'll see those games in you know, on Steam or gog or whatever
2: yeah you know if like, Notch or mm. <laughs> Bill Gates or somebody wanted to kick us a buck, you know, just for the sake of uh, video game preservation, I'd be very, <laughs> very welcome to that. <laughs> Don't doubt it. Yeah, because, I mean, really, it's it's hard for me to say these types of things, you know, like, I would love to do this, but we just can't because of the cost. Like, to me... The preservation of our medium and just the ability to have these games available for anybody to play at any time—I mean, that's—it's so important to me on a deeper level than than what it is to run a successful business. Like, I'm so passionate about what we do, and I only want to see us be able to do more of it. Right. And when it comes down to like the logistics and the you know the business kind of acumen of it, it it kind of breaks my heart in a way. And I wish that we just had, like, you know, I wish we had unlimited funds so that we could just keep, you know, we could do everything that everybody asks us to do and then some. But, um, you know, it's just, unfortunately, it's, you yeah. know, it's the unfortunate reality of it.
0: Believe well, I understand. I, you know, I'm a historian by, uh, you know, backgrounds. Uh, that, that was my major in college. And, you know, I, I know the importance of preservation.
2: Um, just the other day, somebody somebody called us the Criterion Collection of video games, and uh, you know that made me feel pretty good. I wish I had their bed, uh, their their budget, but you know <laughs> I'll I'll take the compliment.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, where you are now from where you were just like two or three years ago has been a an amazing transformation. Like, uh,
2: it's amazing. It's it, it truly is, and it kind of um, it blows me away every day that uh, that I kind of come to terms with it. You know, I think that this November it'll be our our fourth year in business, and I think that anybody who was there at the very beginning and said, you know, you you know, what are you doing? Like you can't make a successful business out of this kind of thing. I think you know would be pleased to see where we are now, and um, you know the fact that we're working on Turok and. System Shock, and we've got so many great things, you know, down the line coming out. You know, I just, I just couldn't be happier.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Now, uh, can you talk about any other acquisitions you've made uh, recently?
2: Um, there's been some stuff like in the works. That I'm I've been actively pursuing for a very long time. Um, I mean, I won't mention anything specifically, but I'll just tell you, like you know, some of the games on my wish list, what they are, and you know, you can make your own. um, (laughs) uh, You know, you can decide on your own what that means. But man, I would love to see Blade Runner come back. Um, i'd love to see the discworld franchise come back discworld Nor, uh discworld one and two i'd love to see um, i'd love to see doom sixty four be playable again
3: right
2: um, there's just so many games i get i got um I'd probably say at, at this rate, it's probably at least like three to five emails a week with people requesting specific titles and
0: mm-hmm.
3: they
2: just go into an Excel document and it's just, it's going to be this never-ending quest.
0: Yeah, I know the people who recommended stuff to us to pass on to you, of course, the interviews. And yeah, there's always old games out there that are lost, forgotten, or just otherwise unpreserved. Well, you know, or otherwise being, uh, how do I put this? Mishandled. Like, you know, there there are some companies out there who I could name that haven't handled their properties the best that they could. And some of them actually have been on the show. And it, you know, it's like I'm not saying better hands would be more appropriate, but I'm like, we could do with less alone in the dark illuminations. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for the record, we yeah. have actually had Atari show a couple of uh, months ago. <laughs> that was an interesting experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, who did you speak with? Uh, Matt Labunka. Do, do you know who
2: he is? Labunka?
0: He, pro He was the project manager on Roller Coaster Tycoon World, right? Ah, uh, Okay. And I think we packed, uh, I can't remember the other guy right now. He's like the vice president. It was the most corporate interview we've ever had on the show.
2: Was his name Todd?
0: I think it was.
2: Todd Shallbetter? Yeah, I think that was that. And him? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, Atari is a strange beast. Um, you know, uh, I will tell you this that you can thank Night Dive that they released uh, Shadow of the Comet and Prisoner of Ice. Really? You can thank them, you can thank us for that, yeah. Um, Even though we had absolutely nothing to do with it. Right. But you, you could thank us for that one. Um, (laughs) Do that. uh, Yeah, so there's, there's this thing that we've, you know, we've come to the realization of, um, having talked to just about everybody in the industry about, just about all the games that everybody would like to see. Um, when it comes to a game that is in the library of, um, you know, a major, major corporate entity,
3: um,
2: to them, when they have something of value in their, you know, let's say their closet or their treasure chest or whatever, and it's not released, they have an IP that's there, um, basically at that point they can say it's worth X amount. But as soon as that game comes out and it has a retail price attached to it, that's what it's worth. And so sometimes, it's, you know, for these larger companies, it's just a smarter kind of business move to keep them tucked away. So they can assign any value to them that they want.
0: Don't worry. Uh, I see you call Atari uh, emphasizing the value of their back capital. Right?
2: Exactly. Um, but, you know, one of the things that they've done is that they've, you know, they've, they've released that back catalog. Yeah. Um, they've gone into the depths. They've, they've pretty much exploited every last little thing that they could, uh, to make money. And, uh, you know, one of those things was chat with the comment and prisoner advice, but, um, you know, that, that puts them in, in in another interesting situation where, you know, the the reviews that are coming out for Roller Coaster Tycoon World and yeah. and their failed attempt at doing a an asteroids MMO, you know, might come back to kinda haunt them because, um, you know, they don't have things in their back catalog that are worth anything anymore because they've already kind of exploited their um you know, their value over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, one of those things, one of those titles um, specifically that I've mentioned would be, you know, the Blood franchise. Um, you know...
0: I touched that yet, but I'm like, I'm worried. I'm really worried that we're going to get Blood 3 by some random developer, and it's just, you know, another desecration of a classic.
2: Um, yeah, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Um, what I am concerned about is the fact that, you know, the game is available. Blood 1 and Blood 2 are available on Steam, mm-hmm. but there's nobody there to provide any kind of upkeep. And so Blood 2, you know, once Windows 8.1 came out or Windows 10 came out, it's, it's unplayable. You can't play it anymore. Right. Uh, Blood 1 has some very shoddy uh, DOS box emulation attached to it that is not optimal. Mm -hmm. And so when anybody plays that, it's like, well, this sucks. They're not going to give it the second, you know, that, that attention that it deserves in terms of, you know, what it did for, um, you know, the industry back then. And so everybody's, you know, eventually going to get these really bad impressions in these old games because, yeah the love and attention that they need in order to survive and and be appreciated these days. You know, one of the other huge examples of this is all the Star Wars games on Steam. Um, There's so many LucasArts titles that are just, you know, what I would personally consider to be masterpieces. And they, of all games, deserve to have you know, somebody give them the time and energy and effort that they deserve to be, you know, playable um, modernized so that they at least run on, you know, widescreen resolutions like the bare minimum type things and they just don't so most, most of them won't even run once you, once you try to play them and, um, you know, GOG has done a very good job of, of providing the support um, getting them to run but for whatever reason, Disney decided not to use the Gog versions on Steam and instead just released you know the straight up you know, original versions with maybe a couple of um, third party like hacks and cracks installed on them mm. just to get them to run. And while the general user reviews are positive, people are are reviewing the game based on the memories that they had playing them because they go, you know, this is an amazing game. Thumbs up, but this version doesn't work. Like, what does that say about, you know, about your content, about, you know, the acquisition that you made of the Star Wars IP? Yeah, I understand the video games aren't nearly as big as the action figures and, you know, the movies themselves. But this is an integral part of the franchise and what people. I don't know have the video hab- games
1: were pretty big for a while. So were the books.
3: Yeah,
2: I yeah. I mean and it's just it's so disappointing to me because, you know, at one point, um, you know, when they had made the acquisition of LucasArts, I was like the first one. I flew down to LA, went to E three and I crashed the Disney party. <laughs> I like basically busted my way in. I talked I you know, interrupted Bill Roper in the middle of a meeting and said, Dude, who do I need to talk to in order to, to work with you guys on re-releasing the LucasArts games? And he pointed me over to the people, and I went and I talked to them, and I spilled my guts out, you know, in a very professional way. Okay. And I provided them with a document that basically had every single LucasArts title on it, all the issues that currently each title had with, you know, the current operating system at the time, what we would do for them for free to get them working um, you know to a state that we thought was um, you know desirable for people to enjoy and they just they just kind of ignored us and now we've got these like completely broken unplayable port games on Steam where nobody can enjoy them anymore and it's like what was the point of that like what, what did you hope to achieve by doing this? Because not only are you kind of cannibalizing your own audience, you know, they're going to buy the game, but they're not going to recommend that anybody else do it. And nobody else is going to want to play these games in the future because they just won't run. So it's like you could have just had us do it. People would still be buying them. And ultimately, you know, when it comes down to Disney, you'd make more money in the future this way because, for one... You'd be able to play the damn thing, so I mean, I'm sorry to kind of go off on this long rant um, no no that's fine it's this is a this is a very very personal kind of subject and topic for me, you know, having grown up with a lot of these games, it's very disheartening to see these big corporations treat their properties this way you
0: know, I...
2: and um you know i'm I'm doing my best
0: <laughs> I, I'm sure. Believe me I'm certainly sympathetic and it's not just with the LucasArts catalog Disney has other <coughs> games that are not treated well a good example is Tron 2.0 um, you know I was playing Tron 2.0 on Windows 7 and then when I upgraded to uh, Windows 10 the game just flat out wouldn't work anymore and yep. you know it's like you know that and I'm sure there's other games like that, or, you know, they've released other, you know, Disney games like um, Tron Evolution and um, uh, Split Second that still has old DRM in it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I can honestly say, too, that, you know, we're we're guilty of this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, There, you know, this isn't the case for those games, but with some of our games, um, we don't have access to source code. And when Microsoft makes a big change, like let's say from Windows 8.1 to Windows 10, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Um, Something that wouldn't require, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to figure out. And if, you know, the game that you had, you know, the lifetime sales of it was like Mm $1,500, you're not gonna spend, you're not gonna invest that money Uh, to get it working for, like, the four or five people that that buy it, um, you know, post-launch. And that is a harsh reality of this, but, again, like, when it comes down to something like Star Wars or Tron or, you know, something of that nature, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a a good excuse for it.
0: No, no, there isn't. There's no excuse that, you know, say, X-Wing or... uh, Tron 2.0 or any of those games should be unplayable on modern systems, considering their pedigree. Now, we're just fortunate that um, uh, Double Fine got their hands on the
2: old adventure games.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. They've been doing a pretty bang up job with the remakes so far.
2: Yeah, and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears here, but you know, one of my favorite things to do is um, I like scour the internet for like really good. Deals on classic uh, big box games, <laughs> and I got a I got a wicked deal uh, two nights ago. I got a box copy of uh, The Curse of Monkey Island mm-hmm. and uh, Escape from Monkey Island, complete and like mint condition for uh, 50 bucks. And I'm totally pumped on that. <laughs>
0: There's a group on Facebook that's dedicated to big box PC games called Big Box
2: PC Games. No. i'm I'm in that group
0: <laughs> yeah I know some people who are in it I keep meaning to join but i'm not I'm just not that big into collecting the big, the big box stuff
2: yeah i'm I'm a part of that group and i i post my uh my acquisitions in there every once in a while yeah um one of the other things uh another kind of off topic thing but one of the other things that I've been doing recently is i started a um uh, a Night dive instagram
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, what I've been doing is Um, I've got this massive collection of, uh, like, 1990s PC gaming magazine, like, of every kind that you can imagine. And uh, once a week I go into my collection and I pull a magazine out and I just scan the advertisements and I post them on Instagram. And um, it's been really, really fun doing that. There's been some, some really good gems that have been popping up but it kind of all falls into our preservation thing, you know, it's like this is what the marketing used to be like you know, and we can laugh at that so <laughs> oh
0: yeah I, I I recently saw a lot of 90s advertising that uh, just doesn't hold up now
2: like then again, or it holds up better than ever
0: <laughs> it, it's one or the other it, it's well like, you know, people think gaming was a boys club now, well you should see some of the nineties advertising, like the, the Sega Saturn naked woman ad comes to mind. And you know, mm-hmm. things like that. The things that wouldn't fly today for one reason or another.
2: Yeah, and you know what? I mean they belong in that time period, but um man, some of those things are so funny. Like I think one of my favorite um my favorite ads is for Conker's Bad Fur Day. Oh
0: yeah.
2: Um, where basically, you know, um it's got this like really promiscuous looking woman in this like really seedy hotel room. And she's like, she's like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. We were up all night. And then it would like clip to a, a scene from Conker's bad fur day. And you'd hear like, you know, somebody like belching and like farting in the background. And you, you get this impression that whoever she's talking about, like gave her a really good time, you know? and then it turns out to be the stuffed squirrel from you know Conquer's Dead <laughs> <that> Birthday. <laughs> it's you know it's one of those things that you just got to see. But man, if they if they aired something like that on television today, Nintendo would be just oh my god, they'd just be under some 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 heavy fire.
0: Possib- uh, possibly uh, I don't know. <sighs> it, I I
2: couldn't say. You know, it's like
0: Times have changed, and you know, the society reflects that change. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so we're getting low on time here,
2: so just uh, I'd say about ten more minutes. I was going to say this. This. This is seems. Uh, I think this has gone a lot longer than it usually does.
1: Well, it, we had a lot to talk, so we, yeah, we 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 can make allowances when we have a lot. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: We'll talk about you know things we're going to talk about next week. So. You know, which is probably for the best. Let the emotions cool down.
1: Yeah, let, Adam be, let Adam be less livid for the second half of the show. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: it's like, believe me, I, there are things I I've been upset about. You know, it's like I don't like the idea of friends and uh, you know acquaintances being targeted by hate campaigns. Just say that.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, again, I, I appreciate the time that you've given me. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't think I've vented quite like I have on your show before. And, that you know, that kind of felt good. I kind of like that. So <laughs> well,
0: Yeah, well, it allows us to be a, a lot more casual, you know. Like, and, and you certainly understand, like, you know, things when it comes to opportunity costs. Like, we were actually talking about that yesterday with uh, Ludosity. You know, they have... What's going on over there? Anyway, a, a game called It'll Do that, was, and the Wii U version is bugged in Europe, and they didn't release really it in Germany. And they were explaining how they, as much as they would like to fix that, they could not justify the cost, and it's a hard thing for people, you know, the, the fan base, to accept because you know they they don't see those things involved, you know, and yeah. It's always unfortunate, you know, when a thing can't happen, or, you know, what, whether it be bug fixes, patches, you know, releases of games, but they do happen. And it's good to get them off your chest.
2: I will say this um, because of all this, you know, we've made. Um, some talk we've had some talks and we've been discussing the idea of, you know, there are games that we do have the source code to that we've worked on. And, um, we're kind of aiming at the initiative of making that stuff publicly available so that if for whatever reason, you know, there's a fan, a diehard fan of a particular game that we've done or whatever. And, you know, God forbid we're not around anymore. Um, <laughs> that somebody else would be able to pick up kind of where we left off because you know that's that's been one of the biggest challenges with what we've done is, is kind of picking up the pieces and finding out what the hell happened to this stuff and how we can kind of revitalize it in the best way possible because you know it's it's one thing if you've got the source code to a game um, you've got the blueprint there are ways to put it back together and to reconfigure it for your needs but if you don't have that there's going to be a point in our collective history in our future where there's the, a game is going to die and um, it's, a, it's a sad thing to think about it is one of those. Uh,
1: so you think you can port it better than me? By all means, try. <laughs> Indeed, but yeah.
0: ironically enough, the older uh, subset of games may be better preserved than the current subset. Of oh games. yeah,
1: you know it, it, because like for example, um, Ninja Gaiden for the Xbox. I can't get the DLC anymore. If I want to get any part of that, I need to go find the black edition.
0: Right, A- and there are other such instances of like online-only games. You know mm-hmm. disappearing uh, recently a game called Dark spore just vanished.
1: It's which is actually a sequel to spore.
0: Mm. no way. yeah, yeah, it was a sequel to spore and it had you know, it was an online only single player uh, RPG thing. you could only play it once you know? and once the once the servers got turned offline, the entire game vanished
2: like uh, and
1: now they're flooding goodwills across the country. Yeah, that that almost sounds
2: like an oxymoron—a uh, single-player online only.
1: <laughs> and then we <laughs> wrote it from EA. It's a single-player, but the single-player mode was still online-only, and it had like eight, oh, okay. eight built into its single-player mode. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. It's just uh, funny how that sounded. <laughs> Lazy game reviews did a really
0: good uh, chronicle of uh, of the dark sport thing. You know, uh, and like I said we might be seeing that more and more, just games no longer existing. And I don't mean they're they're stuck on physical media. They're gone.
1: Unless... Or like the concept of cloud gaming, what's going to happen to those games when the servers get shut down? Right.
0: It's a very concerning issue, and that's why the EFF has been fighting this. They've been fighting, um, like, the ESA and other rights holders who would rather have the games no longer exist than ever breach to piracy sometimes piracy is the only way to save some of these games. Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't the case but you know it's unfortunate it's unfortunately it's not just restricted to video games either you know you've ha- you have other mediums where this is the case as well. but I'm like in in, in terms of you know preserving our heritage, I will choose piracy over oblivion.
1: I you know, like I had to help. Um, find some cracks to get some Tonka games working for the local elementary school.
0: Uh, so, you know, I, I, I do hope we get better preservation methods out there so we don't have to rely on piracy. Yeah. And I guess this is about where we'll end it for this session. You know, uh, Stephen, uh, thank you very, very much for coming out and, you know, uh, telling us what you've been doing And we look forward to having you back on the program uh, When the Kickstarter's ready
2: Yeah, I'm going for a world record Of being on your show So hopefully <laughs> uh, there'll be many more times Yeah,
0: well you're up to five Although there are some <laughs> of, yes, you know, Like Ross from Ghostlight's Getting up there uh, <laughs> But anyway So that about due for this installment I'm pleased to announce that we will be Having MSP after this show uh, yeah, Mac has uh, got a lot of updates uh, with his, uh, you know, his versioning media empire. Um,
1: not just because it's been so long. Yeah,
0: you no, know, there's a lot of stuff that's, uh, you know, if you uh, follow him on f- Facebook, you'll be regularly up to date on it. He, he posts, like, every day about something that new that's happening. Uh, anyway, um, we've got a review of Baldur's Gate, Siege of Dragonsphere. And on that note, next week we will be getting into the controversy surrounding uh, that game and indeed other games, Overwatch and Fire Emblem Fates, and Xenoblade Chronicles and just all the outrage, all the outrage that's going on now. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my God. Calm down, people. Just calm down. Can we go a week without somebody blowing something out of proportion? I, I know the answer to that, just, you know, I just feel...
1: It's nice. A man can dream, though. Yeah.
0: Anyway, and our guest next week is going to be Kyle Orth of Blowfish Studios. Uh, they're the ones who made Gunscape, of which we reviewed recently. That's the mine, uh, Minecraft FPS game.
3: hmm
0: yeah. yeah. And a reminder that is free-to-play on uh, Steam. So if you haven't played it yet, go do so. It's, it's not intrusive with its uh, monetization. No. And it's rare for me to say that. Anyway, so all that and more in the uh, you know in the week ahead, and I wish you good gaming. <laughs>
2: 18-